was finishing getting a few more things setting up here. They changed a few things on me since I've been here, which is not surprising because uh, it has been a few months, like half a year, that I've been on talk show or anywhere doing my radio show, to be honest. It's been quite some time. Um, yeah. Give me one more minute here. I'm going to let everybody know. There we go. Right now, link in comments. I'll have to take and edit this show. And I am done sharing everything. And it will be good. One more minute here, guys. If there's anybody listening, if there's anybody listening out there right now, could you uh, put a shout out in the chat that you can hear me? Because it would really to be talking only to find out later that I have I'm not being heard okay there we go hello everybody it's been uh, quite some time since I've been on radio a lot of things. I'm sure everybody has a lot of things to say at this particular time. There's a whole lot going on right now. I mean, my my most immediate concern is, I guess, I have a uh, a hole not only in my the ass of my pants. I guess I got a hole in the knee of my pants too. And these pants have lasted me for years and years and years. It makes me sad that they're finally starting to uh, go for shit. But that's okay. <laughs> I'll have to fix them up. Good thing about homesteading skills is you know how to fix things. But uh, before we get into the show, a couple things. Obviously, as you can hear right now, we're having a radio show again. We will be doing this radio show. Um, I haven't set a specific time yet, but by the looks of it, it's going to be either at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock p.m. I'm just kind of warming back up into getting back into radio because it's been... Oh, goodness, all summer, all summer, Um, going solo and all that fun stuff. Um, So there will be updates to my website. We will be making those things available. Once we really get off the ground, we will be making sponsors available and all that fun stuff. I look forward to really starting to network with um, individuals out there who are... uh, trying to keep their businesses afloat and trying to keep things a little more grassroots. Um, with the way things are going right now, which we will be getting into tonight in a few, four, few short minutes here, um, things are getting crazier and crazier for people. People are losing their businesses on the daily. It's getting to be quite an interesting conundrum. Nothing short of Agenda 21 that we saw coming with Agenda 2030 right behind um, but it's so interesting to witness in real life. 
Um, it's watching the writing on the wall. It's watching that train coming towards you. And uh, we're kind of feeling like we're getting more and more tied to those tracks where we can't get off and it's just coming. So that's the thing. Um, I have started Mickey Max. So if you are local to Saskatchewan area, um, particularly in the Saskatoon and Prince Albert area, I have got a page up. It's called Mickey Max, K-N-I-K-K-I. K-N-A-C-K-S. Um, the purpose of this project um, is to make items accessible and available at real thrift shop prices, um, make them available as safely as possible. Yes, I can do uh, contactless pickup. I am looking at um, starting a website so people can purchase through the website. I will also do cash. That is no no skin off my ass to do things uh, the way people need. Um, getting everything uploaded on the website. I've been working a little bit on a website, but I need some help, a little bit of financial help with that in order to get the website up and running. I use Wix. Um, which is very easy to use as I continue to learn things more HTML and stuff. Eventually, I would like to switch to WordPress, but right now we're sticking with Wix because Wix works. But anyway, um, items, if you have any items you would like to donate, feel free to hit me up. You can hit me up on Facebook. You can hit me up through the Nicky Knox Facebook page. Um, I take donated items. I travel around. I sell them. And right now we're switching more to online so people can see. And we will be doing more of the um, outdoor selling stuff come spring. Unless a miracle has my way, a miracle comes my way, and I can get my hands on a bus because right now I'm working out of the back of my van. Um, if I can get my hands on a bus. So if anybody in the area has a bus that's just kicking around that, you know, they want to toss out or uh, is willing to help me out with that, I will gladly take it off your hands. Um, I don't have much money to spare at this moment, but I mean, I could work on trying to do a payment plan if at all possible. Um, slow gift three. Um, so yeah, working on that. And then I take some of the money. I keep a little bit. I'm not looking. This project is not looking to make myself copious amounts of money. It's looking to be able to just pay for the basics of, you know, putting gas in the van, being able to help pay bills being able to put, you know, bread and butter onto the table, the things that we cannot grow ourselves because my family does a lot of homesteading and a lot of gardening and soon to be hunting, fishing. I'm learning more and more. I've been fishing my whole life, but more and more skills um, to be able to help us get a little more upgrades. Just those little extra things that, uh, you know, we need a little bit of help with financially, blah, 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 being able to support ourselves. And then the rest of the money, which the more I sell, the more that goes into the pot, goes straight back into the community into donations, um, donations into like the food bank, donations into uh, local community events, low, uh, low community projects. Um, if there's anybody in the community that's in need, for example, if you have an individual that is not able to pay for their gas to go get their chemo treatments um, and has to choose between putting food on the table and going to get their chemo treatments, it's a, it's a small gift from the community to you kind of thing. Um, I'm just a middleman and it's just a passion. I love doing thrifting. I love making things accessible for people who not only like a good deal, but other people who are not able to get the nicest, newest, fanciest things. Um, and I like to keep things at real thrift shop prices, unlike, you know, some other thrift shops. And uh, yeah, so that's super happy fun time. Um, I don't think I have any other housekeeping events 
or anything coming up, just letting you guys know that, hey, I'm back. Um, and so far, we're looking at Thursdays, 6 p.m. Um, doing it here or doing it at my parents' place. Granted, you know, we're allowed to visit friends and family in the future. We'll We'll figure it out as we go. There's always a plan B for everything. Always a plan B for everything, which is absolutely nice. If there's a will, there's a way. You can make it work. So the things I wanted to go over tonight, oh my goodness, there is so many things that I have been, oh, I've, I've been talking about these all day with friends. Um, but I today, I guess, I've spent a lot of time asking a lot of questions. I've been asking a lot of questions um, just about the events that have been going down, uh, the way things are going, how things are happening, why does it have to be this way? Like there's, there's a lot of questions that are zipping through my mind and there's not enough people asking them. Um, and to anybody who has been asking questions, it's interesting to see that either the questions go unanswered or they are being shut down. Um, it's disappointing in quite a lot of ways, um, but it is what it is in others. Um, in particular, we have a most recent update in Saskatchewan here. Uh, I think it was just a couple days ago. I had the news article up, but I have since shut it down. But starting this Friday, um, we have indoor mandatory mask requirement. Excuse me. Forgive me today, guys. I have like, oh goodness, like 30 tabs up. I did not quite have enough time in order to put everything into a document like I would have liked in order to make the show a little more cleaner and a little more efficient, a little bit less wearing, but you're going to catch a few here or there. So just deal with that. This is Sam's show. This is nobody else's show. This is my show. Um, but I'm working on making things a little cleaner and a little nicer and a little more less all over the place. I like to do grand scheme putting dots all over the place like that that crazy guy at the meme um he's standing in front of like a board and he's just like oh but wait there's more and there's like all these little red lines everywhere <laughs> eventually i'll put it up on the screen where like, we can actually see my computer screen once i get a little more situated and start getting a little more comfortable with these things again eventually i'll be doing a video with this stuff too um but yeah, indoor mandatory mask requirement. We do have an update here with Saskatchewan on the uh, Saskatchewan website here. Indoor mandatory mask requirements. Uh, use of non-medical masks is mandatory in most indoor public places, which include healthcare facilities, shopping centers. Oh goodness, there's like 20 or 30 things here. Common areas of office buildings, lobbies, Public areas, um, there is a few things where non-medical masks is not mandatory, such as workplaces in which the public does not have access unless masks are mandated by the workplace. Private homes and residences, except for service workers and visitors. Private areas of long-term care homes, personal homes, group homes, assisted living, private resident uh, areas of communal living, hospitality, workplace accommodations, private, public indoor areas where eating or drinking while seated or in a designated area. 
Um, the following people are exempt from the use of non-medical masks, children under two years of age, anyone who is unconscious, incapacitated, or otherwise unable to remove the mask without assistance, persons actively engaged in physical exercise. And what I find interesting about this is once upon a time, there used to be a listing there. Oh boy, I hope my kids don't start farting. I promised them a chocolate bar if they didn't fight. I'm doing this at home today. I don't exactly have the... Uh, the ability to get to somewhere else right now where somebody can watch my kids. So if my kids start screaming in the background where I need to take a moment to go deal with my kids, I apologize. Welcome to the stay at work from home mom life. <laughs> but anyway, um, it used to say there as well, um, people who experience breathing difficulty. Um, is it, uh, what, what, what were they called, like the Asthma Association or Lung Association or something of Canada had come out a few months ago and were saying with the implementation of mandatory masks, there would be some people who were going to have the breathing difficulty with those masks and therefore um, they should be exempt. And it's interesting to note that in Saskatchewan's page, they have removed, um, they have removed that, um, that, what's it, the, the diddly there. I can't find the right words. Um, they've removed that. Um, I did see an article pop up. I'm going to see if I can move it. Regina is currently looking at removing all mask exemptions um, from children right now. Oh, there we are. Regina Public News. Um, here we go. Public uh, Regina Public Schools moving the man moving the mandatory mask for all students. This is on Global News. I'll take an all copy and paste this in the comments here. One second. So in case anybody wants to pop in and check that out, uh, where am I here? This one. There we go. There's the news article there. And I will take and pop in that Saskatchewan. Where was it here? Just one more second here, guys. I'll pop that in here for you in case you guys want to see that. I'll just post it all in case everybody wants to see it. There we go. Um, okay, Regina Public Schools moving to mandate masks for all students. All students in Regina Public Schools, RPS, is now being required to wear a non-medical mask. Masks will be mandatory in both, both in RPS schools and on school buses as of mo Monday, November 9th. Previously, masks were only required to be worn by students in grade 4 to 12, and when they were pushing out these mask mandates, um, they weren't really... See, this is what's been really interesting about this province and the Saskatchewan party, is they've been pushing these things, but the government itself has not been actually mandating these things. It's been the chief medical officer that has been pushing these things, not the government, but the chief medical officer and all of these agencies and associations and businesses that have been pushing them as well. And I kind of want to point that out that I find it interesting that the government is standing back with hands off because they know exactly, and I'll get into this in a little bit here, they know exactly if they try and mandate these things that have the right individual that goes into court and can spin things around, 
Um, they're going to find themselves in a whole lot of hot water. There have been a few court cases. Um, oh, goodness. Did somebody pop on? I don't know. I think we're okay. That was really weird. There have been a few cases um, that I did find on Canley where people have lost. Um, but, <clears throat> again, I'll get into that in a little bit here. But, yeah, uh, back to this global news article. It's the school division that is mandating these masks, even against um, the chief medical officer's um, recommendations, well, order, these giving direct orders or whatever. Going back to the article, Regina Public Schools put the safety of students and staff first, and mask use is one tool we can use to minimize the spread of COVID-19 in our schools, the school division director of education said in a letter to parents. We believe that taking this extra step will help our schools minimize the transmission of COVID-19 and help keep students and staff safe as we head into winter and cold and flu season. NEM says students should be sent to school with self allow students to change masks as necessary. He said, as the cold weather is around the corner, parents and guardians know that face coverings in the winter tend to get wet very quickly. A wet face mask is ineffective. Having a second or third mask available is another measure of safety for students. RPS did not say how long the new measure will be in place. Um, and I find that really interesting now that they're starting to push these things that uh, they are actually giving proper education um, in the news um, because before they just said a mask would work, but then science came out and was like, hey, you can't just have like one mask for eight hours. It's kind of not going to work because it's kind of not healthy for you and it kind of renders the mask useless after there's been... Um, after there, it, it's been wet. Um, where was I looking for this? Do, 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 do. And then, it's funny to note that when I posted that other article that we're asking for non-medical cloth masks. Um, on the Saskatchewan website here right now, I'll post this in one sec here. Let me post this here. I posted this on my Facebook today and in a couple groups actually that I find it really, really interesting, like at least particularly interesting that we're talking about non-medical cloth masks that are being mandated. Why do I have to wear specifically a non-medical cloth mask? So here I just posted this link in the chat for you guys, um, guidance on cloth mask and non-medical cloth mask. It's effective Friday, November 6th. All people in Saskatoon, Regina, and Prince Albert are required to wear a non-medical mask in indoor public spaces to reduce the risk of COVID-19 transmission. A public health order will be in place for at least 28 days. For residents and other communities, health officials strongly recommend wearing a non-medical mask outside the home. And uh huh, I, I couldn't help I couldn't help but chuckle at this. Like I just it really why non-medical cloth masks? Why specifically non-medical cloth masks? You would think that in terms of containing illness and containing all these things and for the amount of 
financial impact that it's going to be having on our system that there's a possibility that the government would go out of their way to provide masks to every family. I mean, if they can curb to every family and then tax it, why can they not provide a box of masks or whatever? You know, that's what they were doing in China. But no, we got to go out and buy our own masks or else we're not allowed into public without them. Um, and there's a lot of businesses now that are providing them, but there's also a lot of businesses now that are making you pay for them. If you don't have one, they're going to make you pay to come into a store to get one. And it's like, well, at the same time, I understand you're trying to cover your financial costs, but that's kind of extortion. If you're going to be kicking people out of your store, unless you're going to be making them come in and they have to purchase a product from you, it's like in order to just be able to enter the store, that, that's kind of extortion. Like you kind of shouldn't be doing that. And I would imagine that they're going to have some sort of tax breaks or something for these stores um, that are investing in um, masks. And I'm just going to make a quick note here that I'm not saying going forward, I'm not saying don't wear a mask. I'm not saying maskers are stupid. I'm not saying anti-maskers are stupid. I'm not saying anybody's stupid. I'm not saying... You know, I, I, I'm just asking questions because it appears as though there are not enough people out there asking enough questions. And if we're going to be in a free and justifiably democratic society, we need to be able to ask questions and exercise our inherent fundamental freedom to free speech. And that's the only way we can actually progress on a lot of things is when we take and we sit down and we ask questions and we explore options. And, you know, we, you know, when it, when it comes to science, um, when it comes to science, well, that's what science is all about, asking questions, doing some tests, and then sitting with your peers, like analyzing the results, sitting with your peers, determining, well, okay, is this legit or not? What do you think? Um, repeating the repeating the whole thing again because I mean that's what gives validity to scientific studies is if it can be repeated um, with similar or same results um, and then you know everybody who's you know intelligent sits down looks at it and be like okay variables in check blah 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 okay this looks good to go and then it's accepted as fact until such a point in time where it's disproven by new science. At least that's the way science was when I was in a university, and that's why I loved science so much. It was incredible stuff, but I had a lot of questions that weren't making a lot of sense. Um, and I'm finding more answers now that I sit back and I start looking and analyzing science and analyzing a lot of traditional knowledge um, that science is catching up on. And I'll get a little bit more into that in a little bit right away here. But it's really interesting stuff to see. Now, when we're sitting here talking about medical masks, um, I'm going to see if I can find the link here really quick. Why you should wear, what kind of mask should you use? There we go. Um, under section two, what kind of mask should you use? I almost kind of had a chuckle today when I was looking at this. Um, here we go. Apparently, according to, you know, chief medical, federal chief medical officer, or whatever, Dr. Teresa Tam, 
Um, we now should be wearing a mask made of three layers. Two layers should be tightly woven material fabrics such as cotton or linen, and the reason behind that is because it's more porous, but at the same time it catches more. Like there's more, the fabric isn't as smooth and it catches more things going through. Makes sense, right? Right. A third middle layer should be a filter type fabric such as a non-woven polypropylene fabric. But it's like, you want me to wear plastic. You want me to wear plastic, so to speak. Um, be large enough to cover the nose, blah, blah, blah. You know, where is that picture? Give me a second here. I'm going to pop over to my Facebook here for one second because there was a picture that I had taken on the government website. I took a screenshot today. I got to go find it here. Boop, boop, boop. Observe, exhibit. Where are you, my friend? There we go. Um, and this is what I find really odd and at the same time kind of funny. So cloth masks should be tailored to fit the use of facial features as much as possible, ensuring the mask can cover the nose, mouth, chin, areas with a few gaps. Additional information on material when using making the mask available from the government to Canada. It is not recommended to coat the outside of a mask with substance like wax to create a barrier. This can make it more difficult to breathe and air is more likely to escape out the sides of the mask. Okay. Bandanas and gator masks are not appropriate face coverings. They are ineffective at blocking respiratory droplets. Okay. Face shields are not recommended for normal everyday activities or a substitute for cloth masks. I don't know about you guys, but I see a lot of things wrong and a lot of contradictory information as compared to what they're trying to push on us now. Because when we were watching the whole Bill Nye thing, okay, when we were watching the whole Bill Nye thing go down, the whole point of having an effective mask is if you can blow, like he did an experiment on TikTok and he blew up and oh, if you don't wear blah, 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 whatever. He put a lighter in front of his face and he went to blow out this lighter. And in some masks, it wouldn't blow out. And things like scarves and other masks, it would blow out. So therefore, it's not the large droplets of saliva that are becoming an issue. It's the aerosol that's becoming an issue, which makes sense. Now, how many people's masks that they're just making or buying or whatever, I'm curious to see how many people this winter are going to be outside and there's going to be that air vapor coming through their masks or going around their mask. And if we're being told now that we need to put this polypropylene or whatever in front of our faces, um, what kind of contraindication to does this um, specific material have when it comes to being worn for quite some time? Uh, why? Here we go. I'm going to see if I can find it here. You see, it's not on this one. It's a different government website. Um, 
that says that polypropylene uh, does have some contraindications and it does have um, some health risks attached to it. I don't know which website I went to. I wish I would have saved that link because it was the Saskatchewan government website. That's where I screenshotted it from. Just give me a sec here to see if I can find a sec. We are doing this live, so you all have to be a little patient. Uh, filters. Hmm. I'm going to have to go back and look again. See here. This is, I'm looking at the uh, Canadian Health website right now. I'll copy and paste this here for you guys. So, um, you can check that out. Hearing, see, oh man, it's just, I'm trying not to like get angry here. I'm trying to channel my words and convey a message without copious amounts of swearing. A little one here or there, but trying to do it without copious amounts of losing my mind over some of this stuff. Okay, so according to their own website, I shouldn't be covering my mask with a barrier because the stuff, the air, whatever, can come out the side of the mask. Yet, when I'm over on Canada.ca, Public Health Services, Diseases, blah, 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 hearing impaired in clear masks. If you're hearing impaired or interact with people who use lip reading to communicate, consider wearing a clear mask. What is a clear mask made of? A clear mask is made out of plastic. Plastic. Now, I'm being told I need to use a plastic filter, a plastic-based material filter. I'm not supposed to put wax on my mask because it makes it doesn't work. But if I'm talking to an individual who is hearing impaired, I'm supposed to wear a clear plastic mask. Because according to the government's own website here on saskatchewan.ca government healthcare administration blah, blah blah face shields are not a substitute for masks do not use face shields in place of masks face shields can be used to provide eye protection as alternative to other forms of approved form of eye protection such as goggles or safety glasses isn't that interesting isn't that interesting that so many exceptions for things that don't make sense? And Health Canada, or uh, they came up with a thing here. It's actually just popped up on me today. It was posted November 2nd. Polypropylene is now recommended at mass. Should I be concerned? Your mask questions answered. Um, this is from CDC. Here, I'll take and post this for, for you guys so you guys can check that out too. Lots of links here, you guys. I hope you don't mind lots of reading. Um, but here we go. In early November, Canada's Chief Health Public Health Officer directed, uh, 
<laughs> Dr. Teresa Town, updated recommendations for non-medical masks. She now recommends that masks be at least three layers instead of two, and that the third layer be of filter-type fabric, such as non-woven polypropylene fabric. However, she did say that you don't need to throw out your two-layer mask. Well, if it's not going to work, then you probably shouldn't be wearing it. Whatever. Continuing on. Could the fibers shed from a mask containing synthetic materials such as non-woven polypropylene be harmful to breathe in? Non-woven polypropylene is used in both N95 and medical masks. It shouldn't shed fibers, says James Scott, professor of the head of the Occupational and Environmental Health Division at Dalalana School of Public Health University, Toronto. Even if it did shed, he estimates the allowable exposure such as fibers to higher than I would ever expect from a shedding mask. He did say that N95 masks can be used up to 10 times and they're clean properly without damaging. Um, he doesn't know, however, how durable non-woven polypropylene is after repeated laundering at home. Okay, so wait a minute. You guys are telling us that it's recommended now, as according to your government website, that we need to use this fabric but you don't even know how well it works after it's been washed a few times? Like, would you not think to yourself, if we were actually into science, like we say we are, if we enjoy science as much as we say we do, would you not go out of your way to build a quick homemade mask? Because anybody at home can sew these things. Anybody at home can sew these things. There are so many people sewing these things. Why would the government not go out of their way to sew a few, test their efficiency, excuse me, wash them and dry them a few times, and test their efficiency in between each use? That's science. That's actual science. Why are you not going out of your way? to use actual science, but instead are recommending things that you guys don't even know are working. Some of these questions we need to ask ourselves instead of just taking things at face value because, oh, some chief medical officer said so, but the 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 health division at the Dalalana School and Public Health at University of Toronto. I mean, if these are the experts that we're listening to and they can't conduct a one week um, scientific experiment to determine how effective this is actually is, this is against the Nuremberg Code. You know what? I'm going to pull up the Nuremberg Code really quick here for you guys. Nuremberg Code. So here we go. Where is the Nuremberg Code? We need. Give me one second here. Come on, Wiki, help me out. I'm going to read out the 10 points of the Nuremberg Code, and I want you guys to just sit there and think to yourself, just over this one case alone, just out of all the things, just on this one case alone, think about this for a second. Ten points of the code were given in the section of the verdict entitled Permissible Medical Experiments. This is an experiment. This is a recommendation by the government for medical use. Okay? 
Number one, the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. In contract law, if the consent is not given freely and expressed, then it is not actual consent. You can't coerce somebody into giving consent. If you say, hey, if you don't give me this or do this for me, I'm going to punch you in the beak. That's not giving free express consent. That's coercion. It makes any contract, particularly, you know, Nuremberg Code, like a medical experiments contract, um, it, it's invalid. It becomes invalid. Um, number two, the experiment should be such as to yield fruitful results for the good of society, unprocurable and other methods, a means of study, and not random and unnecessary in nature. Makes sense. I mean, if we want people to not be spreading a, a virus, that makes sense that, you know, we would want to have some experiments to make sure that, you know, if, if this masks are actually working to find the best way possible and then make it accessible to people. I get it. Voluntary of love. We got it. But fruitful results. Fruitful. Has to be fruitful. Number three, the experiments should be so designed and based on the results of animal experimentation and a knowledge of the natural history of the disease or other problem under study that results will justify the performance of the experiment. I don't see this being performed on animals, which is really interesting considering this is a zoonotic disease. Instead, we're the guinea pigs for this right now. And I really, that's one I also have a problem with because I'm not a fan of experimenting on animals either. Animals are no lesser than people are. Same with plants. And who's to say an animal gave consent to be experimented on? I'm sure with the screaming animals in the videos of having like, you know, burns and all this other stuff happening to them, I'm sure they're not consenting. But okay, that's a whole other rant for a whole other time. Continuing, the experiment should be so conducted as to avoid all unnecessary physical and mental suffering and injury. Pretty basic, straightforward. Don't, don't fuck people up while you're doing the experiment. Great, I got that. Number five, no experiment should be conducted where there is a priori reason to believe that death or disabling injury will occur, except perhaps in those experiments where the experimental physicians also serve as subjects. How many experimental physicians are being used in the vaccine clinical trials? Just a thought. So those trials shouldn't be happening because we know for a fact with previous vaccine usage that somebody is going to die. And there already has been, I think it was the one down in Brazil, where they have already had one person die. I think it was in Australia. Don't quote me on that second one. But some, the, there was another vaccine that they were experimenting that they've had two or three people so far have um, extreme injuries that could result in lifelong disability. Continuing. The degree of risk to be taken should never exceed that determined by the humanitarian importance of the problem to be solved by the experiment. 
Number seven, proper preparations should be made and adequate facilities provided to protect the experimental subject against even remote possibilities of injury, disability, or death. Number eight, the experiment should be conducted only by scientifically qualified persons. And I mean, some people are pretty questionable nowadays, since when is uh, Bill Nye and <laughs> Bill Gates allowed to do these kinds of things, but okay. <laughs> the highest degree of skill and care should be required through all the stages of the experiment of those who conduct or engage in the experiment. Yeah, you kind of want to just not half-ass things. Number nine, the course of the experiment. I'm sorry, during the course of the experiment, the human subject should be at liberty to bring the experiment to an end if he has reached the physical or mental state where the continuation of the experiment seems to him to be impossible. And when you read that, read that again. Well, I'll read it one more time. This one is very, very important. During the course of the experiment, the human subject should be at liberty to bring the experiment to an end if he has reached the physical or mental state where continuation of the experiment seems to him to be impossible. So in other words, I don't have to give a reason why I don't feel like I can continue. I don't have to justify to you why I can't continue. I just have to feel like I can't do it anymore because it feels impossible and then I can stop. Someone having a panic attack by putting a face mask on as an experiment is reason enough to stop. How many people do we know are sex traffic victims, sex traffic victims? How many people do we know are in domestic violence situations. How many people do we know are physically disabled with asthma or COPD? How many people do we know just 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 can't? Like it's just, they can't explain it. They just can't. And why would you force a medical experiment on somebody like that for your benefit? That seems a little harsh. When even the code says that, hey, for any reason, if they feel like it's too much to continue, they can stop. And you'll always see a good, you'll, you'll know people who are good with science and who are actual scientists if they can recognize at any time that when you have a scientific experiment or anything scientific in general, and they say, hey, no, I, I can't do this. And they're like, okay, sounds good. No explanation needed. That's a real scientist. To say, oh, you know, gaslight and all that other kind of stuff and try and coerce people into doing things and stuff, that, that's scientism. That's a religion. Continuing, last one. During the course of the experiment, the scientists in charge must be prepared to terminate the experiment at any stage if he has probable cause to believe in the exercise of good faith superior skill and careful judgment required of him that a continuation of the experiment is likely to result in injury, disability, or death the experimental subject. 
kind of interesting when you think about that and you think about how society has locked down and how the WHO said that it was okay to lock things down because of the possible ramifications if we had not done it, which, as we can see, has led to detrimental effects on the economy, on thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people's lives for the greater good. But yet they insist on continuing with the experiment and forcing people into things when they can't even do something as simple as wash a mask with a polyethylene or whatever layer to test to see if it actually works. Interesting stuff, isn't it? Interesting stuff. And yes, people were hung over the Nuremberg Code, and if you want to look further into what happened with things with the Nuremberg Code and uh, Operation Paperclip, um, there are a few authors out there now that are speaking up about Operation Paperclip and um, how it was more than just scientists. They brought over... Um, They brought over uh, government officials and, and people, too. Like, it's it's wild the amount of things that they have done um, in order to accomplish <laughs> these devious deeds uh, in the name of our safety and best interests. Beautiful stuff. And that's about the only way I can put it without going in a tirade of completely losing my damn mind. Um... And I've been looking a lot into, you know, with with these whole mandatory masks and things, with these public orders and blah, 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 I've been finding a lot of these things to be quite interesting. I've been looking into the Emergency Planning Act, um, the Public Health Act, because people are telling me um, that the Planning Act and the Public Health Act and all these other acts are law. And for the health officer to give an order means it becomes law, and therefore they can fine you for it. And I don't think anybody has really looked into detail into these acts and how much power these alleged acts give to these individuals and I'm talking like dictatorial dictatorship, like draconian rule kind of powers, that that's all they have to do is claim it's going to be a problem and they can enact these things. So let's take a look at the Emergency Planning Act here. See, this one, um, basically, if the government determines that there's an emergency for whatever reason. Here, I'll post the link. Hopefully, you guys can open that one. I'm not sure if you'll be able to, but if you copy and paste it into the Google search, you should be able to open it. If not, it is called the Emergency... Hold on. Emergency Planning Act. Here, I'll just go up with that. Boop, boop, boop. There we go. Emergency Planning Act. And this one's kind of a doozy. Well, they're all a doozy. It's, it's wild to see the things that they're putting in these legislations that people have no idea about. And when I start talking about things like the Indian Act being a trust, your birth certificate being a trust, 
your birth certificate making you chattel and makes you a slave. Like you're subject to all these things if you're a citizen because according to their rules, they're going to make you do it. Blah, blah, blah. I can get more in depth into that another time because I think it's highly important for people to start understanding the deviousness and the complete destruction of the soul that that one piece of paper, which is a contract, by the way, birth certificates are contracts, social security numbers are contracts, your health card is a contract, all these things, this this government is not a government, it's a corporation. And I'm not going to get into that too much today. I think I'll sit down and I'll go over these things next week because I have a whole bunch of stuff printed off and a whole bunch of stuff highlighted and I'll sit down with you guys and we'll go through these things a lot more. Um, I'll pick out a couple parts out of my friend's book that I'll read. I'm not going to read them all out of my friend's book because if you want to purchase Mika, Razilia, Razula, I screw up his name every time if you're listening, but I apologize. My friend Mika, his book is on Amazon.ca, Sovereign Citizen. Um, He also has his group on MeWe. You can type in Sovereign Citizen. Go check it out. His book is available there too that you can purchase. If you want to help a friend out and you want to help somebody out who's, you know, helping you out for free on the daily by providing free information every day on how you can fight these fuckers in the courts and in the government, just take the $10.00 or 25 per print and go buy his book and support him. But emergency planning act, protection from action. And this is a really ugly part right here. Where a state of emergency is declared to exist in the government of Canada, an emergency declaration is made or a local emergency declaration is made by the minister, the chief medical management, the Saskatchewan Emergency Management Organization, SPSA, the provincial planning community or committee or members of the provincial planning committee, local authorities and members of local authorities, and persons appointed by the minister or local authorities. Um, oh, I just lost my thought. To carry out measures related to emergencies are not liable with respect to damage caused through any action taken up in good faith pursuant to this act and the regulations or any order made pursuant to this act are not liable. Isn't that interesting? We can grant ourselves the power to do whatever the hell we want that we think in good faith and we're not liable for our actions. Interesting, isn't it? The orders, decisions, or actions of any of the persons mentioned in subsection 1 shall be final and shall not be reviewed or restrained by injunction, prohibition, 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 mandamus, certiorari, or otherwise any court. Number three, notwithstanding subsection one, the persons mentioned in that section are liable for gross negligence in carrying out their duties under this act, the regulations, or any order made pursuant to this act. So they're not 
liable for any damage unless when they enact this act, they become grossly negligent. In other words, doing something they know that would cause harm or more so failing to act when they should have acted. Isn't it interesting that the government was okay with bringing in people across seas when the so-called pandemic first hit and did not mandatorily keep those people in a facility or in their homes when they brought them home because they couldn't deny them entry into the country if they were a citizen. But because of their actions have caused a pandemic, which has cost, in their words, thousands of people their lives and hundreds of thousands, if not more, their careers, their lifestyles, they're the everything. It has costed so many people everything because the government was negligent in trying to contain this virus. But after this virus took off, and I went and found this on canlead.org. Um, oh, please load. Okay, thank goodness. Supreme Court of Newfoundland and Labrador. And this really this really fucked me up. I'm not going to lie. I read this and my jaw dropped. In the Supreme Court of Newfoundland and Labrador General Division, Kimberly Taylor versus um, Newfoundland and Labrador. Oh, so bear with me. This is a lot of legalese. Here we go. So it's only a little bit. But anyway. Summary, on 4th and 5th, May 2020, in an effort to curtail the spread of COVID-19, the Chief Medical Officer of Health, CMOH, for Newfoundland and Labrador issued two orders pursuant to Section 281H of the Public Health Protection and Promotion Act. This is in Saskatchewan, this is Newfoundland. The PHPPA, restricting those permitted to enter the province. On 8th of May, 2020, CMOH denied Kimberly Taylor entry from Nova Scotia to enter, or sorry, to attend her mother's funeral. Ms. Taylor challenges Section 281H of the PHPPA as outside the legislative authority of the province and the decision to refuse her entry pursuant to the travel restrictions as contrary to her section, or sorry, SS.6 and 7. Uh, subsection 6 and 7, Charter Rights of Mobility and Liberty, respectively. The CCLA seeks to join with Ms. Taylor in her challenge and, in addition, to bring its own challenge to subsection 28.1 and 51, the enforcement investigative provisions of the PHPPA. Held, the CCLA has granted public interest standing in support of Ms. Taylor. It is denied public interest standing to bring its own challenge to subsection 28 and 51 of the PHPPA as the challenge is non-justicable on the record before the court. Section 28.1H of the PHPPA is a valid law as falling within the legislative competence of the province over matters of public health, 
under Section 9216, matters of local and private nature, or alternatively, Section 9213, property and civil rights of the Constitution Act 96. And I hope you're sitting down for this part because it's about to blow out your ass, guys. Ms. Taylor's Section 6.1 Charter Right to Mobility was infringed, albeit fleetingly, when she was denied entry into the province. Ms. Taylor's Section 7 Right to Liberty was not engaged. Hey, you hear that? Section 7 was, or sorry, Section 6 was infringed. Section 6 was infringed, Section 7 was not. The infringement of Ms. Taylor's right to mobility was demonstrably justified under Section 1 of the Charter in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. In the result, the application is dismissed. In light of the importance of the issues raised, each party is ordered to bear their own costs. Yeah, you heard that right. So the Canadian government could bring people in who were infected, who were known to be from an infected area, and were not told that they had to be staying in their homes or given a sign, which caused a pandemic across Canada, which then leads to people having their rights infringed on for day-to-day life. That's kind of messed up. That's kind of messed up. So Section 1, provision, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees the rights and freedoms set out in it subject only to such reasonable limits prescribed by law as can be demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. Demonstrably justified. We have not had a federal emergency act implemented, only provincial, only provincial. So what are we doing? What are we doing allowing provinces to override a charter and when it says demonstrably justified in democratic society please tell me how it's justified I would you need oh Harper's came in for a second here perfect and we're back. How can it be like how how like just it's interesting to see, you know, demonstratively justified when we have court cases and I don't like that Rocco Galati. I'm gonna say it right now. I am not a fan of his. I am absolutely not a fan of his. But he is taking the government to court and there are people who are taking the government to court because we're being told that our charter rights and freedoms which have come from the international covenants where it's okay for them to be denied because of the COVID-19 pandemic 
But everything that they're doing up until this point has been an experiment because it's never been done in history past. It, it is an experiment. We are being forced into an experiment that is against the Nuremberg Code. And they're not backing it up with proof. Everything they're saying is entirely contradictory to one thing to another thing. And people say, you know, but that's science that evolves. And I get that. And I make sense. But what are you doing making policies based off of ever-involving science? And what damage is that doing in the meantime? And I want to pop over to my friend Mika's um, post here today because I told him I'm stealing his status because I'm putting it on my radio show because he had a really good point today. Um, while I was researching this, um, he's been kicked off of Facebook, by the way. So if you want to find him, go find him on MeWe. Um because Facebook's being mean to him again. How dare he have an opinion? Here we go. This is Mika status. He posted this today. I hear people complaining about this and that and other things, but why? The government will do whatever it wants to you if you do not contest it. You have to make your case for yourself and then get them to admit you are right or in the right to do what it is you were pissed off about. No one will or can do that for you. It's like so many years ago when I challenged the car insurance tickets, they expected me to just pay the fines. Instead, I proved to them in court that it was a racketeering scheme that only a fool would participate in once they understand the true law surrounding any compulsory legal act. Nothing can be made compulsory and no act that is an unbondable statute can be enforced by a judge who has sworn an oath. And he has a lot more of this information in his book. Again, you can find that book, Sovereign Citizen, on Amazon. It's an incredibly knowledgeable book. But he has a point. He has a point. If they're telling you that we can take away your rights as demonstrably justifiable, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Put the onus on them. When you go to court, put the onus on them. They have to provide the proof. And you can bring your proof of claim as well. For example, if this is supposed to be a free and democratic society, I don't know how well this part would hold up in court, but this is just something to think about for the general populace. If we're supposed to have a democracy, Wiki will tell you that Canada does not have a democracy. It has a constitutional monarchy. And when you go ahead and you look at things like the Public Health Act, I'm going to find this here. The Public Health Act essentially allows the health officer who is appointed by the health minister 
who is appointed by the lieutenant governor, um, who is appointed, you know, by council, and you vote in your party, and then everybody starts appointing everybody. Everybody starts putting everybody where they want to go. And according to the Public Health Act, the health minister can give permission to the health officer to basically do whatever the fuck he wants, as deemed by so-called science and his professional opinion. I mean, in this act alone, let me find it here. It was right here. Um, give me one second. In the Public Health Act, under the section called Control of Epidemics, the minister may make an order described in subsection 2 if the minister believes on reasonable grounds that a serious public health threat exists in Saskatchewan the requirements set out in the order are necessary to decrease or eliminate a serious public health threat. An order pursuant to this section may direct the closing of a public place, restrict travel to or from a specified area of Saskatchewan, prohibit public gatherings in a specified area of Saskatchewan, in the case of a serious public health threat that a communicable disease require any person who is not known to be protected against the communicable disease to be immunized or given a prophylaxis where the disease is from one or is one for which immunization or prophylaxis is available or to be excluded from school until the danger of infection has passed where the person is a pupil. They can also establish temporary hospitals, require a local authority, a medical health officer, or a public health officer to investigate matters relating to serious public health threat and report to the minister the results of the investigation, require any person who, in the opinion of the minister or medical health officer, is likely to have information that is necessary to decrease or eliminate serious public health threat or to disclose or sorry, to disclose that information to the minister or medical health officer. Um, authorize public health officers, peace officers, or prescribe persons to confiscate substances or other materials found in any place, premises, or vehicle if those substances or materials are suspected by the public health officer, peace officer, or prescribed person of causing or contributing to a serious public health threat or packages, containers, or devices containing or suspected of containing any of those substances or materials. That's pretty vague if you ask me. And then last but not least, this is the doozy. In any case of a serious public health threat that is a communicable disease, require any person to be isolated from another person until a medical health officer is satisfied 
that isolation is no longer necessary to decrease or eliminate the transmission of a communicable disease. Holy smokes, you guys. That one is a mouthful, and that one is a doozy. That right there, that right there, that is dangerous. That is dangerous, especially when we have things coming out. Um, I'm just going to post that the Public Health Act there. You guys can read that at any point when you'd like. Um, when we have things, I'm going to try. Somebody had sent me, here we go, a uh, post on the National Post. Dot com. Allegedly, this Russian professor infects himself twice with COVID and says herd immunity won't save us. The first time Tripanov caught the virus, he recovered without hospitalization. The second time, however, was much more serious. And the article basically goes over how he caught it when he was traveling. Uh, caught the virus for the first time in February while on a flight from France to Novosibirsk with a stopover in Moscow, but was able to recover back home in Siberia without hospitalization. After recovery, he took a test that detected the presence of antibodies in his system, which he and his team at the Institute of Clinical and Experimental Medicine in Novosibirsk or whatever this place is, the side of the study. They observed the way antibodies behaved, how strong they were, and how long they stayed in the body. But the number of antibodies in his body decreased rapidly, and three months after he fell sick, the team could no longer detect any presence in his system. Interesting. Curious to see what they would happen in the event of a reinfection. Chirpinol became his own human guinea pig and props to this guy because guess what if you're gonna go ahead according to the Nuremberg code if you're gonna go ahead and do scientific experiments that could possibly get somebody hurt he went ahead and he did what was right well not necessarily he went ahead and ethically did this six months after his person or sorry he deliberately exposed himself to COVID-19 patients without protection Six months after his first infection, his body defenses fell and he was again sick with coronavirus. The first sign was a sore throat. The second infection was much more serious and Chirpinov had to be hospitalized. For five days, my temperature remained above 39 degrees Celsius. I lost the sense of smell and my taste perception changed. By the sixth day of the illness, a CT scan of the lungs was clear. By the ninth day, a follow-up x-ray showed double pneumonia. However, by the end of the two weeks, the virus was no longer detected in the nasal pharyngeal tract, the upper throat behind the nose, nor in the samples. Based on his own experience, Chirpinov concluded that it's futile to hope that herd immunity could stop and spread, sorry, stop the spread of COVID-19. A vaccine, he said, could garner human immunity, but it would be temporary. We need a vaccine that can be used multiple times. A recombinant, a recombinant vaccine will not suit. 
Uh, and then it talks about this new wild vaccine that they got going on, an adrenoviral vector-based vaccine. Vaccines designed to insert a modified COVID-19 gene into the human body to provoke the production of spike proteins, yada, yada, yada. Um, basically GMOing yourselves in order to be able to create immune response. So I just posted that one in the chat too. But I hit Google because somebody had shared that with me, and I hit Google and I checked this out. Uh, BMJ.com, COVID-19 T-cell response lasts for at least six months after injection, study shows. Uh, the robust cellular, cellular uh, immunity persists for at least six months after even mild or asymptomatic SARS-CoV-2 infections, research has shown. The study of 100 people showed that cellular immune response against SARS-CoV-2 six months after the infection, although the size of response was 50% higher in those who experienced um, symptomatic disease. There has been concern that cellular immune response following COVID-19 infection may not be sustained. The data is reassuring. Lead study author Paul Moss from the University of Birmingham, or sorry, Birmingham, told the Science Media Center briefing on November 2nd. So this one is very, very recent. This, it's the 5th today. It's November 5th today. This is just from three days ago. However, it does not mean that people cannot be reinfected. And that's the same with things like flu, that's the same with things like chickenpox, measles, blah, blah, blah. Some people can be reinfected and catch it multiple times in their life, and others catch it once when they're done. And some people only have it mild, and some people have it really bad. It just depends on your system. We need to have a much larger population studies to show that. Moss also added that the findings can't be taken as confirmation that an immunity passport would be feasible. But that's interesting to see that they're trying to push that COVID is not creating an immune response but yet this new study is saying that, yes, people do have a response. The study from the UK Coronavirus Immunology Consortium, wow, I cannot pronounce things, and Public Health England, which is published as a preprint and has not yet been peer-reviewed, is believed to be the first in the world to show that a robust cellular memory against the virus persists for at least six months. At least. It could be longer. So I'm going to post that here for you guys. Boom. But isn't that interesting to note? That science is telling us, oh, well, we need to have vaccines and our own acts which essentially allow one man to give another man permission to become a dictator and fine you if you don't follow the rules, which he can just extend 
over and over and over again, when science like this is coming out and can be demonstrably justified in court that what they're doing ain't right and that what they're doing is going against your charter rights and freedoms and it is causing people harm and it is causing issues. I also want to bring up this other um, article a friend sent to me today. What am I doing at for phone here? Oh, yeah, my phone is good. Got lots of battery left. My computer is slowly dying, but my, my phone is good. I charged it right full just for today. Is COVID-19 primarily a heart and vascular disease? This was posted in September 8, 2020. Obviously, things have been updated since then as this continually goes, but this really got me thinking. If this is supposed to be a respiratory disease, and now studies are starting to come out to say that it's not the lungs it's having issues with, more so the down on a cellular level of our own cells, possibly including red blood cells, to be able to accept oxygen, to be able to distribute oxygen, is it any wonder why things like zinc or hydroxychloroquine are working against this particular disease? Because zinc essentially opens more channels and be able it helps the body to be able it helps the cells to be able to absorb more oxygen to be able to get the oxygen to where it needs to go. Same with things like hydroxychloroquine. And is it interesting to note that if those things are working and this is a blood disease and an oxygen-based disease, possibly an immunodeficiency versus a bronchial, bronchi bronchial, there we go, the right word, the bronchial issues, as we've been led to believe, with colds and flu, that's just a symptom of what's already going on inside the body. And in which case, how is that being spread? Is it still being spread? through saliva droplets? And if that's the case, why did we have that study where 300 people were tracked and traced and not a single one of them had caught COVID? Is it really as communicatable as we'd like to believe? And if it's not, where the hell is it coming from? And how did we have this in the first place? And why is it that some people are so much worse than others? And why is it there's just so many questions that you have going through your mind when you think about this as it's starting to look more like an immunodeficiency problem versus a cold and flu? And it makes things even more difficult. When you pop over, I'm going to try and find 
I pulled it up today because I knew I was going to need it. Let me find this really quick here for you. Here we go. Excuse me. CDC. This is from the CDC's website. Um, let me scroll up really quick. What is it called here? CDC 2019 Novel Coronavirus 2019 NCOV Real-Time RT-PCR Panel for Emergency Use Only Instructions for Use. This is from the CDC website. Um, for in vitro diagnostic use only. Now let's scroll all the way down to this. And this is going to blow your mind just a little bit. I'm going to read this for you. The analytical sensitivity of the RT-PCR assays contained in the CDV 2019 Novel Coronavirus 2019 NCOV real-time RT-PCR diagnostic panel was determined in limit of detection studies. Sit down. This is going to blow your mind. Since no quantified virus isolates, no quantified virus isolates of the 2019 NCOV are currently available. Assays designed for detection of the 2019 NCOV RNA were tested with characterized stocks of in vitro transcribed full-length RNA, blah, 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 of known titter spiked in the dilutant consisting of a suspension of human A549 seals, cells in viral transportation medium to mimic, mimic clinical no isolates are available and they use something kind of similar to mimic clinical specimen I'm going to post this for you guys right now on the thing and you can take that this is page 39 page 39 of this document 39, and that's for PCR testing. There we go. Blow your mind, doesn't it? Just a little bit. Interesting, isn't it? That they don't actually have an isolate for the PCR tests. Now, what are they testing for then? If we're using something to mimic these tests and we don't actually have an isolate, what are we doing making vaccines from the so-called coronavirus if there's no actual isolate of the coronavirus in order for us to get the proteins and to start GMOing them and to stick them in ourselves? Why is nobody asking any of these questions? And if you do ask these questions, why are people making you feel bad for asking these questions? This whole thing is becoming quite an interesting conundrum in that people 
are really starting to lose the narrative based on the actual science. The government is starting to lose the narrative based on the actual science because either it's simply not there or if it is there, it's showing different things. But yet the government is pushing for only a specific narrative to be listened to. And when I read the BMJ, you know, there are antibodies being shown six months later. It makes me question a lot of things that we know today to be true. I mean, for example... I'm going to pop open this book here really sec. Just give me one second here, guys. I've been reading um, Earth Magic. I think I still have it borrowed, but I'm going to read this for you guys really quick because I'm going to go off on this really quick, and then we're going to end the show here tonight in a short fashion. Here we go. Give me a second. This one is called Earth Magic by Stephen B. Farmer, and I strongly recommend it if you're into um, natural law, if you're into traditional things, any of that kind of stuff. Let me read this to you. And this really threw me off, that they were doing these kind of experiments in 1993 but yet we didn't hear anything about this. At least I was never taught anything about this in school. And if more people knew about things like this, how much more willing would they be to question things such as these viruses and the nature of a virus? Another experiment Braden described demonstrated that human emotion has direct influence on the cells of our body and the way they function. In 1993, the Army designed experiments to find out whether a connection of some sort remained when emotions and DNA were separated, a notion that modern science would conclude was impossible. For the setup, the scientists collected DNA by swabbing the inside of a volunteer's mouth. These samples were taken to a separate room in the same building and placed in a chamber designed specifically for the experiment, where the electrical activity of the DNA could be measured to determine if there was any response to the emotions of the donor who was segregated in a room hundreds of feet away. The researchers showed the donor various videos ranging from graphic images to violence, or sorry, of violence to erotic images, to comical images, where they were designed to stimulate a variety of emotional responses in While this was going on, the DNA in the other room was measured electrically to see how it would respond. The measurement of time for the cell's response and the subjects were both synchronized to an atomic clock. The study revealed that whether the donor experienced an emotional response or reaction, sorry, whenever, whenever the donor experienced an emotional response or reaction, 
the cells in the DNA also showed a reaction at the exact same time, even though it by hundreds of feet. A follow-up study was done, this time with much greater distances between the donor and his cells, at one point by 350 miles, and the results were the time between the donor's reaction and the cell's response was zero. In other words, in both sets of the experiments, the donor's reaction and the electrical spikes of the DNA occurred at precisely the same time. Isn't that incredible? Like that blew my I have been talking so much about that lately because it just it just blows my mind. I mean the rest of this page goes on to say the implications of this are mind boggling. When we make any kind of contact with someone, part of our DNA is left with that person and vice versa. So how many people in the world are carrying some of our DNA? What about organ transplants? I'm not sure of the answers to these or other questions that this raises, but what we can conclude is that our physical matter exerts a powerful influence on the world around us, that we are all connected on a very fundamental level, that cells and DNA communicate through this universal energy field instantaneously, and that our emotional process continues to affect our cells even when they have been deposited somewhere else. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? And when you look at things like viruses, which according to the Public Health Act, allows for them to engage in their draconian measures, if there's a biotoxin, which defined by Google is a living organism, which Google also says that is a virus alive. I'm going to see if I can find that exact article that I was reading before. It was quite interesting. I'm not sure if I'll be able to find it here. But essentially, the article that I was reading um, was saying that Technically, viruses are not alive because they need a host, unlike a parasite where they can survive outside of the host for a while, they viruses cannot survive. I'm just going to put the title of this book here in case anybody wants it. Earth Magic by Stephen B. Farmer. It's a very incredible book. But viruses are not technically alive. They cannot replicate without being inside of a cell. They cannot do their damage without being inside of a cell. Essentially, they have to cells in order to take over. But there was this one other scientist, and I intend on looking a little further into these things because they have really piqued my interest now. They have really piqued my interest. I'm just going to see if I can find his name really quick here. Just give me one second. Because a friend of mine 
had posted with a comment. I might have to just do a separate show about this stuff and do a little more research and bring it forward to the show. So don't, I don't remember his name, but essentially, from my current understanding, so don't quote me on this, from my current understanding, viruses are not actually little living organisms like scientists say. It's a potential that our body is too or has become too toxic and that when we get the electrical signal from another being who has also recently undergone detoxing their own body, that we become sick and detox as well. And I thought that was really, really interesting. At first, I thought it was kind of crazy. To be honest, I thought there's no fucking way. That's crazy. Like, I, I'm, I'm pretty tinfoil hat-ish, but that has no basis in science. But then when you look at the study, that your cells can be 350 miles away from you and still exhibit an electrical response according to your emotion. Emotion. What is there for the potential for this virus theory where it's not actually little critters hosting themselves in our cells, but rather our body detoxing from the crap that it's collected. Whether or not that holds any weight, I'm not sure, but it got me really thinking about it, and it got me really questioning today about the potential that it could be true, especially when more and more science is coming out about this coronavirus um, not being a bronchial issue, but rather an immunological issue. I didn't get to read this. Give me a second. I'm going to go back and read this because I was going to, and then I got distracted. Okay, where are you, article? Where are you? Give me one second here, guys. I had it popped up, and then I went and got distracted. Here is the medical masks. Here we go. Back to this article. Is COVID-19 primarily a heart and vascular disease? Posted September 8, 2020. Several recent studies have supported the growing hypothesis that coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19, is primarily a cardiovascular and not a pulmonary virus. The narrative that those affected are usually asymptomatic and have very mild or no disease may be false. Many of those who are asymptomatic may actually fall victim to myocarditis, a sinister stealth-like disease whose resulting disability may take decades to manifest. Decades to manifest. That sounds a lot like an autoimmune kind of thing or like something like heart disease or 
you know, something like that. Concerns for cardiovascular involvement of SARS-CoV-2 have been present since the early genesis of the pandemic. A research paper from China found that 20% of COVID-19 hospitalized patients developed heart disease. Anthrobolomic events happened in 31% of those in the ICU. Another from Germany reported ongoing myocardial inflammation in 60% of 100 recently recovered patients with COVID-19. However, the cardiovascular disease has not been, or sorry, has been assumed by many to be a manifestation of severe COVID-19 and not from direct infection of the virus but instead from small vessel disease caused by hypercoagulation of the blood. So little blood clots everywhere. Not from the direct infection of the virus, but small vessels causing, uh, small vessel disease caused by hypercoagulation. Isn't that interesting? And if that's the case, again, why are we being told to wear masks if this is a small vessel disease? And going back, is this something that's happening to us? Is this something Do we have an autoimmune issue? Is it from the flu shot? Is it from radiation? What's this from that... 300 people who were doing contact tracing were not infected, but yet some people like this Russian scientist allegedly was. And why is it some people only get minor problems, whereas others get major or end up with things like heart disease? Like, there's so many questions that I have. And if there's a possibility that, you know, these viruses aren't actually viruses, but rather our body detoxing itself, which would allow this legislation or which would no longer allow these legislations to be able to take control of us because viruses don't really exist if this theory is true, would it then open up the government to being liable for the actions that they have taken, not because they didn't know specifically about the coronavirus, but rather the inherent nature of alleged viruses in general, that we could have had a whole lot less people die if we would have understood the true nature of how viruses operate, which would have given us a better understanding when the so-called coronavirus came out, which in this article, and I'm going to go copy and paste this here for you guys, in this article states that it's not, it's not a pulmonary disease, it's a cardiovascular disease. Whoa, <laughs> whoa, the potential, the potential is there. Wild, I'll tell you what. My mind is going a million miles per minute on this stuff, and it just 
what is interesting, it's interesting to note, you know, and I do want to read part of a comment today that I did get from a very good friend of mine. I'm not going to read it in distaste to say that, oh, well, you know, I, 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 it, it's someone's opinion. And it's, it's interesting. And I, I, I get where people who want people to mask come from. I get it. If they follow the science or they don't follow the science or they just have the best intentions, they do care. But as I've been arguing with people lately, which has unfortunately led me to becoming extremely withdrawn for my own emotional sake, because I have been quite angry lately, and I'm not going to lie about that, just at the shallowness of how many claim to care, but are misguided in many ways. And I'm not saying this individual that I'm going to read the comments on is that. She's amazing. I love her with all my heart. And she is the embodiment of a community member that will go out of their way to make sure that you have food on your table and your bills paid if need be, unlike many others. But it was a comment that I was thinking a lot about this afternoon, and it made me really ponder. And the comment goes as follows. I am thankful that ongoing scientific research continues to discover more and more about this virus and how it affects homo sapiens. What has been discovered in less than a year regarding this virus by the scientific global community working together is phenomenal. And I'm going to co uh, concur entirely that it has been amazing what they have been able to pull together, whether it's for the agenda or against the agenda, whatever it is, it has been amazing. Simple actions like wearing masks and distancing and washing hands can help decrease the spread of this virus. Um, I question why some do not for the good of all, or sorry, I question why some do not for the good of all do not follow these simple, simple, easy actions so that others may be healthy and enjoy life. To live as though we are individual physical beings and not a connected physical community literally hinders the ongoing health of all, physical and mental health, and it is good to ask questions. To acknowledge that ongoing research creates now knowledge that a simple action can facilitate a greater degree of safety for many. And on so many points of that, I do agree with, particularly asking questions and being connected with a physical community body, again, brought me back to this study that how much DNA do we leave with people 
when we're hugging them, when we're talking to them, and, you know, they spit on you. And a lot of energy workers will go out of their way to say that, you know, like people who work with their hands a lot or people who do energy work a lot say that if you're in a piss-poor mood, don't do energy work or physical work on somebody else because while you may have the best intention to do what is necessary in order to help that heal, if you're not in a good place, you can do more damage than good and they might not realize it. And that makes a lot of sense that a lot of our traditional knowledge, that science is starting to catch up with it. Because science was lacking for a very long time, and in quite a lot of ways, it's still lacking. And it's a damn shame that money gets in the way when it comes to truly engaging in science and finding the answers to life's greatest questions that it's become a religion and it's been squashed because any real scientist will tell you like i don't know we don't have the answer for that but the ones that run by money and obfuscate the truth and making it way more difficult than it has to be they're the ones causing the issues and they're the ones trying to manipulate and destroy our creative and inquisitive potential to truly go next level in and it's upsetting and to see people not this individual in particular, because like I said, she is willing to go the mile without the government having to tell her what to do. It's really upsetting to see that many people claim to care and they claim to care about people. And it's upsetting to see the Saskatchewan government now pushing that if you care about other people, you should wear a mask. But it ostracizes and shames those who cannot, for whatever reason, is their own, wear them. While at the same time, giving the facade that mask wearing of care in the aggregate because if people truly cared about one another the way they claim to care like they do with showing the effort of wearing a mask up to and including shaming anybody who doesn't wear one <clears throat> they would be just as willing to help an individual who is currently and actively sick stay home and pay two weeks worth of bills collectively as a community that claims to care and make sure they have two weeks of food. 
that they don't have to leave that house for two weeks and they don't have to worry about their bills being paid for two weeks so that they can protect themselves and the rest of the community by staying home so that whether it's by a virus or electrical synapses or whatever the case may be that people get sick from being in close contact with that individual that they wouldn't have to worry about having to go to work or how they were going to pay their bills or how they were going to feed themselves if they're forced to isolate why is it that when the government implements a rule that they can force anybody to isolate, that they take them and isolate them and give them bedding and food as per their obligation? If you're going to force somebody to do something, you better provide for them. But why can the community not take the initiative to do that themselves? without having to be told so by the government. And this coming from the same people telling people, well, if you truly care about somebody else, you should wear a mask. But seven months ago, they were also the same people saying, well, I need to go to work despite me being sick because I have bills to pay. Or some people, like single moms, have to send their sick kid to school and go to work because they can't stay home for two weeks because they've got bills to pay. Well, if money is more important than people's health, and that is the one thing, I was talking to a different friend the other day, and that is the one thing we can both agree on, is the awareness brought by society that our health really does matter and that we really need to start looking after one of another in order to become healthy as a whole we have to make sure everybody is healthy and that has been one way that this pandemic has really reset and brought awareness to that like hey Money is not more important than our health, so maybe we should go out of our way to help one another, to make sure each other are covered, so that they don't have to worry about those kinds of things. But the more the government forces people to do these things, the less caring people are becoming. Because the more the government implements control in order to control chaos the more chaos that results and i hate to say it but we're going to be getting to a point in the future if not the near future where violence is going to be required in order to bring peace from the chaos and it's an interesting thing to think about. It's an interesting thing to ponder over. It's not something I would like, in all honesty. I really hope that people can bring it back and start focusing more on natural law and start focusing more on doing their shadow work 
and start focusing more on giving from the kindness of their heart without the expectation of unspoken or unwritten expectations. <laughs> you know, that we can go the mile for one another if we are a collective consciousness and each physical one of us are an individual expression of consciousness that we don't place so much emphasis on the individualism that we are left in total isolation but at the same time we don't place so much emphasis on the collective that we become lost or sacrificed for the collective Unless, of course, we do so choose by our own free voluntary consent. And informed consent, not just free and voluntary, it has to be informed. They have to know what all potential outcomes are in order for themselves to be able to make that kind of a decision. And for those kinds of people who are willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of the whole, fuck, they got both. They got balls, and it's just it's it's all about balance. It's all about balance. We can't be swinging too far one way, and we sure can't swing too far the other way, because the more we are extorted, like the more we're controlled externally, the more chaos it's going to cause internally for us. So if we learn how to control ourselves internally the less control we'll have externally. And that all comes from, you know, doing the shadow work, learning natural law, learning simple things that can help us really, you know, something as simple as do no harm. Something that simple. That if more people engage in that, or at least tried their best, without being negligent this world could really be a better place but i think for tonight that's where i'm going to end off here oh geez i hope oh yeah this recorded sweet and i will kick you guys again next week um i think i might talk more about sovereignty next week and stuff like that but i'm going to be doing a lot more sharing of my readings and podcast listening and stuff because during this last six months I have learned a lot and there are a lot of things that I would love to share with you guys and as always if there's anybody listening who would love to be a guest on the show hit me up let's chat because I the reason why this show was started was to interview individuals who are outside the norm who are against the grain, so to speak, that are not normal, <laughs> that are not part of the collective, that have, you know, that have broken free of that way of thinking and that way of doing, or at least are attempting to do that. That's what my show is about, is giving those people a voice to be able to share their story and to 
share their experiences and let the world know that they are here as an individual expression of their consciousness and how they got to be where they are today because of the lessons that they have learned in their life's journey and how they can share those with other people so that maybe one day those people, if they come across that experience, can go the route of least suffering (laughs) or understand, hey, this is what somebody else has gone through. I'm not alone. Things like that. It's just, it's an incredible thing listening to people's stories. So I will catch you guys again next week, Thursday, 6 o'clock. And have a very happy Thursday. Bye-bye.